Hi everybody, welcome back. I hope you had a fabulous winter break and that the new year is off to a good start. I'm Megan Gladbach and this is Jobs and Journeys. I'm speaking with Jeff Hamm today, the Vice President of ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance at Ham Companies. Uh, Jeff is also the president of the Ham Foundation. He has nearly 25 years of experience in recycling and waste services, as well as supplying construction materials like aggregates, ready mix concrete, and asphalt. In this episode, we talk about the query process from cradle to grave and how complex playing in a sandbox actually is. You'll understand what I mean when you hear Jeff describe what he does for a living to his daughters. Anyway, there are so many opportunities in the skilled trade jobs, and this episode just brushes the surface. I hope you find it as educational as I did. Thanks, enjoy! Welcome to the Jobs and Journeys podcast. Thank you for joining me this morning. For our listeners, a little bit of background. Um, I'm speaking with Jeff Ham today, who I had the pleasure of meeting at the beginning of the fall mm-hmm. through Ryan Rains, who works for the Chamber of Lawrence. And Jeff works for Ham Companies. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you wear many, well, from everybody that I've talked to, they always wear many hats, but what is your formal job description? Yeah, so you're, you're not wrong. There's a couple different hats. Uh, for the company itself, I am the vice president at ESG. So ESG is Environmental, Social, and Governance. So my responsibilities in the company include uh, reclamation, sustainability activities, uh, GHG reduction, uh, community outreach, you know, social outreach of every nature, WHC, which is your Wildlife Habitat Council projects. And then I also assist, you know, we're part of a, a larger corporation called Summit Materials and uh, we're split into regions. We have an east and a west and a central region. And I also assist the central region with their ESG activities and lead their sustainability groups as well. On top of that, I am president of the Ham Foundation, which is a completely separate entity of the company. And the Ham Foundation was established in 1996 with a mission to cultivate innovation and educational opportunities for kids and students pursuing careers in the trades. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on, and I yeah. mean, both of them consume a lot of time, but it's it's a fantastic job. I've been here, you know, for Ham. Like I said, it's a, it was a family-owned business, so I've been here since I was a kid, but really professionally about 25 years. So Yeah, wow. We have so much to unpack today <laughs> because I I feel like I was only I only became more familiar with the trades probably in the last maybe like 2 or 3 years cuz mm-hmm. my brother has been working um, to become an automotive technician and then my partner Joseph works for the bricklayer and mason mm-hmm. stonemason union in uh, Kansas and Missouri and Nebraska and yeah I and I also I had the chance to speak at a professional development event for mm-hmm. trade for folks working in the trades and I feel like I learned a lot through that but something really interesting um, that I asked everyone when I was at that 
professional development training is like how did you get involved in the trades or how did like what's your story from little baby Jeff so you know I think there's been a persona and I think it still exists you know but especially in my generation the upbringing it was always college right you know if you want a good job or if you want to be successful you need to go to college and even though I grew up in this industry you know I rode around with my father and my grandfather on job sites and through queries and everything else there was still pressure from my mother and my father that you know once you get out of high school college is the answer you know let's let's see what you want to do there and they there was a little bit of a push that direction so I've been big with the outdoors my entire life so as I was coming through high school trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do in college uh kind of picked biology and specifically marine biology well you live in Kansas so I'm a long ways from uh any large bodies of water right so I uh Graduated high school, started in at uh, Washburn, and took some classes, started to get prerequisites and stuff through biology. My intent was to travel somewhere where there's an ocean, you know, preferably kind of the Florida area is what I had thought, and attend some college and really focus on marine biology. That was my plan. And uh, so I spent two years in college and here in Kansas at Washburn and every summer I would come back and work for my father you know and just make some money in the summers and uh, one summer I came back kind of joined him in the asphalt division working uh, on the turnpike down by Admire kind of close to Emporia and at that time there was a hole kind of open there was some need in that area and I kind of fit that niche and when the time came around to go back to college I just didn't and you know, my father was my boss at the time, so there was a lot of conversation, and, you know, he started, you could see him start to teeter away from college, college, college to, hey, you know, I, I need you, this, you're a great asset, you know, I need the help, we're building something out here, and I, I want you to be a part of it, so we kind of changed that, that ideal, right? So I started there, worked my way up from laborers, and, you know, laboring, running on the pavers, shuttle buggies, rollers, things of that nature, about every aspect that you could think of on asphalt laydown. And then uh, that was in 2002. And then in 2009, my father retired. I took over that asphalt division and I spent from 2009 till January of 2020 in that division, working my way up to where I was eventually a general manager of that. And then in 2009, I moved over, or 2020 in that January, I moved over to the ESG position. And it was a big change, you know, I've always been pretty focused on P&L lines, you know, profit and loss and a, and a division, and this was completely different. Now, I've used more of my biology that I learned in those two years in college in the last year than I used in the last 20 prior to that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's been beneficial, but uh, yeah, it's been a completely different deal to where now I'm, I love being out in the community, I love meeting people working with local schools, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Free State, Lawrence High, uh, Eudora, Perry LeCompton, mm -hmm. and really just trying to do exactly what we're doing now, you know, kind of tell that story of what the trades have to offer, not just specifically ham and construction in general, but but really all the trades, right? From welders to masons to bricklayers and uh, construction folks, you know, where you're building houses, doing woodworking, anything of that nature, it all kind of ties together. And, you know, I think I've been blessed with a career pathway and a story that allows me to sit in front of these kids and really say, 
you know, here's where I was, here's where I've come from there. This was my original plan when I was 17 or 18, and let's not fool ourselves, that plan usually changes, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, there is success to be found, and uh, making a great career. You know, I've got two little girls and a wife, and I've been fortunate enough to, this career supported them as well. And uh, it's, you know, I always tell my girls, I've been able to work in the world's biggest sandbox. So I never really did it grow up, right? I mean, that's really what this is. Yeah. It's been, it's been a fantastic journey. I mean, and we're still right in the middle of it. Everything that I'm going through now is something new. You know, the opportunities are always there regardless of kind of what trades you pick. I think the opportunities for advancement in them are far greater than anybody realizes. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so no, it's been it's been a great time. That's that's the story of Jeff at the moment. You know, yeah, so we're still continued. writing it, right? Yeah, we're still writing it, but it's exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. So, tell me about <sighs> like when you were working in aggregates. Mm-hmm. I know very little about <laughs> what that actually looks like. I all you know, I see people working on the side of the road. Sure, sure, and. I see the equipment, but I, I've never experienced that before. It's almost, um, so my background is in agriculture mm-hmm. and I felt like, and I, and I did go to college, but I didn't really understand what agriculture was. Like I had to be out there and experiencing sure. it and to like really understand all the nuances of like, you know, what a combine does and and how much it takes to operate it. Right. And how complex it is to, you gotta move all the grain, you gotta store the grain, you gotta test the grain for whether it's got any human born diseases. Uh, Moisture like, content. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, what different things did you do while you were in? that position so you know this goes back far beyond you know after I graduated so you know I spent my childhood inquiries and on job sites because you know as once I was old enough to be able to climb in the passenger seat of the pickup I wanted to go with my dad right yeah. do you want to define what a query is too for yeah our yeah absolutely so uh, you know from what ham does is we we're vertically integrated. So your quarry, your limestone aggregate, which is what's pretty heavy in this area, right? Some some areas you get out towards Colorado and things like that, you'll get more granite, you know, some harder aggregates. But Kansas is primarily limestone. So from a quarry process, kind of cradle to grave here, you know, you find we've got geologists on staff that are extremely skilled in being able to locate these aggregates underneath the ground, know where these ledges are. and there's various types of limestone. It's not just limestone, right? So there's, you may have a ledge that has a little less absorption and it's a little bit harder limestone. And then six feet under that ledge, there'll be some shale between this ledge, maybe two and a half, three foot thick. Then on six or seven foot of shale or maybe some dirt or something like that, then there's another ledge and another ledge and they all go on down and each one is different. And each one reacts different. You may have aggregates that work better for kind of an AB3 type base, which is kind of a dirtier rock, got some smaller finds and then some bigger rocks, but they use that a lot to put down 
first and then build the road on top of it because it kind of locks together. Mm-hmm. Then there's other, other aggregates that have some lower absorptions, a little harder rock, and they work really good in concretes and asphalts and things like that because their wear resistance is better and they, they stand up longer, right? They last longer. So these geologists understand this. They know what ledges do what. They know how much, they call it overburden, how much dirt is above that ledge, you mm-hmm. know, for the natural ground. So how far we got to go down to find the first quality ledge of rock. And these properties are throughout the state. You know, we have quarries from Missouri, you know, kind of Kansas City, Missouri area, all the way out west to Woodbine. And the aggregates change, you know, we're as far south with some of our sister companies. We're as far south as the Oklahoma border. And as far north as into, you know, right across the border and into Nebraska. And you know, so we have a lot of active queries, a lot of different sources, and each one of these queries has a different rock, right? And they're not all completely different, but you know, there's there's different overburdens, there's different amounts of dirt, there's different ledge thicknesses on every one of these. Every one of them poses a different challenge. Mm-hmm. So the initial the initial process is to locate this area, right? And uh, then you either talk to the landowner and you get it either purchased or you lease it or, and then you got to work with the counties because you got to talk to them about what's their need, right? This county, you're going to be in their county with a quarry and digging a hole in the ground sometimes comes across as, you know, with trucks, you know, they think there's going to be trucks, there's going to be equipment, there's going to be all this traffic. My kids are on these roads and, and we understand that. And uh, so it's really communicating with them on, you know, this is our plan. This is, you know, what we'd like to do. This is how long we're going to be here. And then we come to them and say, what makes sense to you? You know, is there is there a certain aggregate that you need? Is there a need in your county for an aggregate or you're hauling it from a great distance away because you don't have a local query? And, you know, this all factors into you want to keep your tax dollars in this county rather than paying outside. And, you know, is, is there just generally a need for an aggregate source here. And once we kind of establish that, we like to be very, very transparent and be out in front of the, not only the county officials and the commissioners, but also the the public and say, hey, this is, this is what we want to do. This is exactly what it's going to look like. We've done this for 65 years. So we, we feel pretty confident that what we tell you is going to happen. And what's your concerns? And there is concerns always and, you know, uh, I would have concerns if it was next door to me, you know, I'd have questions that I'd want answered, you know, so we take those all very seriously. We answer the questions. We have the right people on site that, you know, are not only capable of answering the questions, but are also in charge of the operations. So if they make a promise or if they, they make a statement, they're the ones that could back it up as well. So once we get that done and uh, we get permitted, then you remove the soil on the top, you know, and like I said, it could be anywhere from five or six foot of soil over the first ledge to 40 foot, you know, it just depends on where that area is at. And once we get the top soil removed, you know, we, we go down and we start excavating the rock ledge by ledge. And, you know, we kind of, we usually keep the ledges separate because like I said, each ledge is a little bit different aggregate. So we may crush this ledge and set it aside at a certain size, right? Because we can make these rocks. It's, I mean, essentially it's making big rocks into little rocks, but you know, we blast the ledge, we crush these rocks and separate them by size through a series of crushers and screens. And you know, this size may be 
correct for concrete and this aggregate may be the right hardness and moisture content and, and absorption for concrete, asphalt, building roadways, you know, your aggregate base, things like that. And, you know, depending on the size of the site, your quarry could be there for 10 years. It could be there for 60 years, you know, depending on how much aggregate is there and how large that site is. And as we're doing this, we we set back along with our quarry uh, leaders as long as well as our environmental guys, myself included, and uh, our geologists, and we say, okay, especially if it's a landowner that still owns the piece, we go to them and we say, all right, this is what we're going to do. What do you want this to look like when we're done? Are you a fisherman? Would you like a lake? You know, because you got a hole in the ground, right? Or do you like to hunt? So do you want us to put it back a certain way to where you got, you know, a really good wildlife area for deer and turkeys and ducks or whatever? Or do you like just to be outdoors and, you know, have bike trails and things like that? And we take that feedback and we build a model of at the end of the life of this quarry and we set a, a, aside funds as we do it too so we can afford to do this. We, we say, okay, here it is. You know, this is what you'd like it to look like. This is what we can do, and you know that way the landowner's comfortable with what's going on. And uh, even if we own it, we do the same thing. We reclaim it. You know the the state actually has reclamation uh, reclamation things that we have to hit, right? I mean they have certain things in place that you can't just leave a quarry hole open and walk away from it, right? So there's a certain amount of reclamation that has to happen regardless, but. We take that as our baseline, and we really try to go above and beyond that to really put it back. If there's, if it's ours and there's no need for a public place or a space, then we'll put it back as close to the way it was before as we possibly can. All the dirt that we take off, we stockpile so we can use it back when we're all said and done. So a lot of times these quarries may look almost identical to they did when we started. The elevation's just lower. The same contours exist, everything exists, but the entire elevation of this quarry is lower. And then with the ham companies, you know, once we produce that aggregate, we have ready mix that we use that aggregate in, uh, some construction and asphalt, but really, you know, a lot of this gets sold to the counties, to other companies that do asphalt and ready mix, uh, you know, building big jobs, building pads, you know, things like that. You know, if you look around, aggregate is in everything we have, every Every pound of concrete that built the building we're setting in, the road we drove in on on the asphalt, the curbs that the water runs in is built with this aggregate. So it's really the the pillar of what I would call the modern civilize, civilization, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of where you're at. But mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's the process. My job is to make sure that we do this as efficiently and with as minimal amount of impact to the environment as we possibly can. So we're always looking at innovative ways to reduce our greenhouse gases. Uh, working with the Wildlife Habitat Council, which is a, a third party, uh, one of the largest in the world is a third party accommodation. So they, they come in and they give us different aspects of habitat reclamation, species, things like that. You know, I've got Wildlife Habitat Council certifications from bluebird houses to pollinator gardens to natural landfill caps. And then some of our sister companies got them with walking trails. They do, they give you accommodations on education as well. So you can really, you know, they really push hard for you to keep up with the community. So the community can understand what you're doing and how you're impacting the environment and what you're doing to, to try to improve upon it as you go. So 
my job is to make sure that, you know, what we're doing, we still are able to support the business, but we're doing it in the most efficient and sustainable way possible. And that mm-hmm. is exciting because our employees are right there with me. It's not something that I have to try to convince them to do. You know, everybody that I've come across has some wonderful ideas on their specific site and what they'd like to see and water reduction and habitat creation and things of that nature. You know, they'll, a lot of them will take pictures and when I roll in, they'll say, oh man, I saw this bald eagle over the pond or hey, there's this herd of whitetails that comes through. So, you know, maybe if we do this, it'll, it'll help support them. And so my job is to really just give it, get out there and say, okay, what's, what's your thoughts? Cause you're the expert in this area and, you know, take that and see if we can improve upon it and implement it. Mm-hmm. So, no, mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic work, and, you know, it's something that has to be done. You know, I mean, you can't continue to build without aggregates and ready mix and things of that nature. But at the same time, how can we do that the most efficient and sustainable way possible is, is definitely a focus area for not only HAM, but for all of Summit, you know, yeah. throughout the nation. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, that's a huge question that the world needs to ask mm-hmm. itself, you know, as we... You know, because in one way we have like this incredible, like we get to design our world mm-hmm. and be the stewards of it. And that is a heavy responsibility. And it's it's so hard. It is so hard to do that. But I think that's, you know, one of the most, like that's why we're here though. I mean, mm-hmm. we got to know how to take care of, you know, each other and all the other inhabitants of our sure. planet and sure yeah and i i studied my well agriculture agroecology and like environmental studies and sustainability mm-hmm. is what i studied in college so everything that you're saying i'm like oh yeah like Absolutely. we've had so many conversations i took a restoration ecology class mm-hmm. and we had just so many great conversations but they were it was so hard and it really depends on the context of like each place is different and like what you decide to do and why you decide to do it and uh yeah i'm really glad that a a lot of companies are really trying to start to add in like environmental social and governance uh, roles and I think that's you know been a thing for a little while now yeah. and there's still a long way to go well it's encouraging to see you know <clears throat> you look at investors right you know some mm-hmm. of your largest investment firms and 10 or 15 years ago it really came down to the bottom line you know how profitable is this company how you know what's their assets are they going to be able to continue this growth pattern for years to come and that's what dictated their stock price and the more you look now the more you see that there's an esg aspect to it and it's very high on the list you know they want to know not only are you profitable but how sustainable are you and what do your practices do to the environment and that's really a testament to this newer generation of you know, people like you and I and, and even younger than us that are saying, hey, you know, this we've got one chance at this. This is what we have. And yes, we understand that in order for us to continue to thrive, we need businesses like construction and, and aggregates and landfills, you know, and things like that. We're involved in that as well. And But how do we do that 
with a minimal amount of impact. And that's coming, once it starts coming from the investors is when the needle, in my opinion, is gonna really start to move because stock price in some of the larger corporations rules all. And you know, if the investors are saying, I want this, then it really pushes these companies to start making meaningful change and doing it relatively quickly. Yeah. And I'm proud to be part of a, a corporate company that's ahead of the curve and that is extremely focused on that and uh, wants to be one of the most socially, if not the most socially responsible company, materials company in, in the nation. And to be part of that and be on that side of that team is uh, exciting, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, there's a lot of uh, conversations that are had on a daily basis of this is what we do. We do it well. How can we do it better? And so knowing that gives you, when you know, wake up in the morning and know that, you know, we're going to do things that I've done my whole life, but we're constantly looking for a better way to do it, a more efficient way to do it, and to minimize our greenhouse gases and our carbon footprint. It makes it pretty easy to get up and go to work in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, super rewarding. I definitely um, have had some pretty jaded days uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I, you know, just hear about climate change on the news and... COVID and you're like, yep, okay, that's, this is the world we live in. (laughs) But I think, you know, we do, like when I was alluding to, like, we have this, you know, really great chance to design our world. Like we, like that, that is pretty cool that we, we do have the power to create environments and leave them better than they were before. Because at this point, We've touched every square inch, maybe except for, well, no. I mean, even, you know, there's plastic all over the ocean. <laughs> we've pretty, we've affected the entire planet, but like we've touched every part and maybe not, you know, directly, like, physically touched it, but sure. in some way we've touched it. And I think if we can, like, that's not a bad thing. I think we can, you know, you can touch it and you can leave a bad impact you can touch it and you can leave no impact but you can also touch it and you can leave like a good impact and i think uh it's very very challenging to do that um because it's just i mean everything that you talked about is so complex you're you know talking to people in the community and trying to like get feedback from them and be supportive of them and then at the same time you're trying to be supportive you know, of keeping our water clean and the air clean and all the, you know, birds and bugs and other critters that are around trying to like take care of them. And yeah, it's a really, really challenging job. Yeah. And and I mean, when you look at it as a whole, it is overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, throughout our company for many, many years, and this is this is something that kind of came from some of the originators with Summit, was a motto that we use throughout sustainability in our area is, you know, think big, start small, move fast. So you're looking at the big picture and you're really wanting to impact it, but you're taking it in small doses, you know, a pollinator garden here or a reclamation success over here doesn't look like it's very big but it's starting to move the needle in that direction and a lot of little wins creates very one very big win right so that's kind of how we handle that overwhelming aspect of looking around at mother nature and looking at the 
the scope of our projects and, and the size of this company and saying, okay, well, yes, we want to do something, but how, you know, and it really is, it's, it starts small, you know, you thinking big, this is where you want to be. And you, you put your plans out there, your one, three, five, 10, 15 year plans. And you say, okay, let's take it one bite at a time here, you know, and, and let's make a small impact and a lot of small impacts make a big impact. And that, that's the way we look at it. That's the way that I kind of live my day is, you know, if I can check some of these small things off the list and, and make that impact, then, you know, you start adding these together and pretty soon that impact's quite substantial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our landfill, we, uh, we have a sanitary landfill right on the north side of town here. And uh, it services all of the city of Lawrence. And we take all the recycle as well to a recovery facility that we got that's just down the road from the landfill. And this landfill is one of the few in the nation that uh, has been approved to have a natural cap. So what that means is a landfill is more of a vessel, right? You've got a geosynthetic liner on the bottom. All the trash goes in it, all the waste goes in it. And then as it degrades, we actually have set up to where we collect the methane off of it and sell it as a clean gas rather than allow it to be released into the atmosphere. That's another one of our huge GHG reduction initiatives. Works very, very well. And then most landfills once they have reached their top level we they actually lay that synthetic liner over the top and encapsulate that that trash and then plant you know put a thin layer of dirt plant you know your warm weather grasses or something like that which is your fescues things like that mm-hmm. what we do is we actually build layers of dirt there's no geosynthetic layer over the top of this trash we actually cover it with dirt about six to eight feet and uh, we plant natural grasses on it which as you know coming from agriculture the root systems are a lot deeper and there's a lot of carbon capture within natural grasses compared to your fescues and stuff like that and then we send it right back to nature we plant trees we monitor it blackstone works with us we look for hot spots we do moisture tests and there's a lot of expense there's a lot of engineering involved beyond what a normal landfill cap would be but in the return on that we have 53 acres at the moment that's been recovered and we have a, a piece north of it that's never been touched and you can't tell the difference you know i mean it's back to nature we have native pollinators we have native herds of whitetails we have your softwoods have grown substantially now the hardwoods are starting to come in you're actually watching this go back to what it looked like years ago before it was ever touched and that right there you know you drive this site we do a lot of tours out there and talk a lot about you know the thing is there's always going to be waste you know no matter what we do and we're always trying to reduce it you know we we're big proponents even though we are a landfill we're huge proponents in recycling and minimizing that waste that goes to the landfill because we want that landfill to last quite some time because nobody wants another one right you you have one you don't want two you don't want to have to build another one and uh with that the entire plan on this landfill is to, you know, start sectioning it off once it gets reclaimed and once it grows back to nature into walking trails and, you know, horse riding paths and things of that nature. So, you know, it's it's in every aspect of what we do. And when we wake up in the morning, you know, safety is the first thing that comes to mind because our, our people are our greatest assets. And right after that, it's what can we do, you know, for our environment because this is all we've got. And that's the motto for every one of the employees that's here. And that's it's encouraging to see because the conversations you have from everyone from the front lines that may be shoveling out from underneath the conveyor to the superintendents that are running those queries are all 
on the same line when they th- when their thought process. They all had the same conversations. Mm-hmm. So it's encouraging. It's a, pl- it's a great place to be. Yeah, that's great. It, what um, Another thing that I've noticed from our conversation is there are so many different jobs that... Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you said, you know, geologists, mm-hmm. and then you have people actually doing the labor, and then... I don't know if you have your own lawyers or if you were working with lawyers to figure out all like the permitting and you know you've got all this like public relations that we're doing and yeah all kinds of different absolutely yeah so we have about 600 employees and uh like you said you know we've got some really good employees that came right out of high school and started at you know what you would call the bottom the laborers right and you know they've labored they've learned kind of what's going on in these quarries around them and they've worked their way up from laborers to equipment operators uh some of them have graduated high school went to beloit to learn equipment operation because beloit's got a great operator school out there Mm -hmm. and we've hired them from there and they've come out and went right into operator seats we've got others that have graduated from ku or k-state or missouri rala that come out with engineering degrees you know, mining engineers, civil engineers, uh, environmental engineers. I mean, they're, all those aspects tie into this, right? And then, but a lot of us, you know, probably, I'd say probably 50 or 60% of this company is a lot of really good individuals that come right out of high school and enjoyed just going out and being outdoors and, and working with their hands. And some of our Foreman, some of our superintendents are high school graduates. They don't have a college degree, but they've worked their way up from from laborers, and they understand every aspect of that business. And now they're running these quarries and running these ready mix plants. And you know, we've got CDL drivers. We work real close with Peasley. You know, they train some CDL drivers, and we hire them because we've got ready mix trucks and aggregate haulers and and landfill trucks that drive every day. So there's really, I mean, we cover the gamut of trades. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got shops with mechanics that are auto mechanics and welders and and heavy equipment mechanics as well. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the trades, there's there's a spot. Right? <laughs> there's a spot. There's right? a spot. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hard right now. And it's not just for us. It's for the trades in general, you know, and it's not just in this area, Kansas and Missouri. It's it's nationwide. And I think some of that stems from what we had talked about earlier about that. That thing that's there where you know your parents kind of have that preconceived notion that in order to be successful college is the answer and you know it may be for many but there's some i me included that that college just didn't fit you know mm-hmm. i mean you're sitting in class learning biology which is something that you know i found extremely interesting but you find yourself looking out the window because you wanted to be out there mm-hmm. and you know so the, not not only do those pathways exist and those and those careers exist, but they're extremely, you know, fruitful. You know, I I I've had a great career. I've been extremely successful. I've got individuals around me that you know went to high school with me, or I've known throughout the company since I was young. Some of them helped raise me as I was running around, you know, with my father, and they've been extremely successful and and they've had a great career and they're happy and you know they're dedicated employees so it's there you know and that opportunity exists and the pay rates are 
every day, especially with the lack of, of skilled workers in the trades, the pay rates are continuing with inflation and with, with the lack of workers starting to go up and they're going up substantially. Oh yeah. So, I had no idea like how much money people in the trades make. I'm like, why would they <laughs> Right. Right. And you know, there's a lot of companies, uh, us included, you know, we, uh, our HR team does a great job of really communicating with the schools and I help them with that. And, mm-hmm. and, and we do internships and things throughout with college students every year and kind of just introduce them to what's out there right with us. And we talk about pay rates. We help with college on some of them. You know, we, we kind of guide them towards, you know, if they're going to be a welder, we're more than willing to help them out, you know, getting certifications in certain aspects of welding and CDL drivers, you know, they may have, they may come in with a class B, which allows them to drive a dump truck, but they want to drive one of the larger end dumps and they need a class A. Well, we work with Peasley and say, hey, well, you got a class B now, we'll get you over here. You can work with Peasley, get your class A and we'll take care of it, you know? So we, my grandfather told me something when I was younger and my father reiterated it a million times is, you know, we can't, in this industry, we can teach just about any skill, right? But we can't teach want. So if we find a good individual that wants to be there, that wants to learn and is motivated, we can take it from there. And we can, we can map out a career path that fits for them and help them get there. And yeah. I've seen it happen numerous times in this company from with individuals that come in and then just have a great work ethic and a you know great attitude and they're safety minded and you know I've watched that our company take them and say okay you know what do you want to be where do you want to end up you know give me your plan and they've mapped it out and you know we've helped them get there yeah it's it's a fantastic place it really is yeah I was gonna ask you what advice you would give to others who are interested in following a similar path and it I feel like you've already kind of given it be like just just call me well I'll get you there yeah yeah don't be afraid to ask questions you know don't be afraid to to get in there and and learn you know I mean that's what we look for we look for somebody that's passionate about you know wanting to do well wherever they're at regardless of what they're doing and uh, you know we can take that and and really start giving them the skills that they need to be successful yeah yeah and if students are interested and maybe, I mean, you guys offer field trips mm-hmm. and yeah, so. I've taken uh, uh, Julie Schwarting with uh, Free State and her classes. You know, she's got environmental classes and AP kids, and it's every year she comes out. And we do tours of the landfill and the recovery facility, and it's a fantastic time. You know, and I, the kids, it it gathers a lot of questions. You know. They all throw something in their recycle bin or their trash, and once it leaves their house, they really, a lot of them have no idea where it goes and how it's handled. Yeah. So we're able to take them out there and say, you know, this is where it goes. This is what we do. And it gives me an opportunity to talk to them about recycling and uh, plastic bags, you know, are just terrible for us and everybody, you know, the plastic bags are hard to control. So talking about how to, to properly dispose of them, where the methane goes, how do we collect it? what we're doing with the environment. And then uh, we work with local schools at any of our quarries, Woodbine out there. We've we've had those local schools come out and tour the quarries, look for fossils, things like that. Mm-hmm. Eudora, uh, the fifth graders come out every year and, and we do a big quarry tour and kind of show them what's going on. And we do career fairs all the time. You know, we really just try to 
you know, it's not necessarily as much recruiting as it is just awareness. You know, this is what we're doing. It's here, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's always fun to ask a group of students, you know, there may be 100 to 150 fifth graders there at Eudora and you you say, do any of you know about ham? And it's always great to see a couple hands go up and they say, well, my mom works there. My father works there. That's all. That's fantastic. What do they do? I have no idea. (laughs) Great. You know, but uh, yeah, it generates a lot of questions. It's a extremely rewarding to see you know even from grade school kids all the way up to the high schoolers with you know and I work with Lisa Ball there at LHS as well you know and her kids come out to just see their eyes kind of light up and those questions come up and I love answering them you know and I've had some great ones I've had some that are just off the wall right but uh, and I I enjoy those too but you know there's a lot of great questions and a lot of understanding and you get a lot of letters afterwards like well I didn't know that my trash went here and then you guys did this with a compactor or you stood 53 foot trailer straight up in the air to dump the trash out. I didn't know this, you know, so yeah. awareness is, is a big part of what we do. Yeah. Well, hopefully this, uh, will contribute to that awareness sure. and, um, students and teachers can listen in and yeah, learn this will be an opportunity that they can go new places with. So yeah. Well, and working with you and the locals, the teachers here throughout Lawrence and the surrounding communities, you know, my door's always open, my phone's always on. We're always looking for opportunities to either come to the schools and talk or have the students take a field trip or be involved in a community project. We love to be involved in community projects and and offer some skill sets or materials or something, anything we can do to help. And so, yeah, hopefully you can maybe put, if they ask you, put some of my information out there to them so they know how to get a hold of me and we're more than willing and happy to, to help in any way we can. Yeah, great. I will absolutely do that in the show notes. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Well, thanks so much again, Jeff. I will see you later. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jobs and Journeys with me, Megan Gladbach, and our guest, Jeff Ham. Like Jeff said, towards the end of our conversation, he's excited to serve as a mentor for students as well as visit your classrooms as a guest speaker or offer job shadowing experiences or field trips to HAMS facilities. So if any of the work-based learning opportunities I just stated would be valuable to your students at this time or in the future, please reach out to Jeff and or myself, you can find our contact information in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Bye.